0: Grow your business in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started. Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the Prop G Markets podcast. For nearly two years, Prop G Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, Prop G Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer? It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. And when you take a war in the Middle East and you add the New York Times and a controversial headline, you get a really big story, one that is reverberating more than a week later. My guest, Charlotte Klein, she's a media reporter for Vanity Fair, just added a significant chapter to the story. She's been able to give us an inside look at how Time staff grappled with the hospital explosion story in real time. It's a great story. You should go read it right now and then, then come listen to this podcast. Welcome, Charlotte.
1: Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for doing this. Uh, before we get to your story, can can you, can you briefly catch us up on the entire history of conflict in the middle? No. Can you briefly <laughs> catch us up on the overall story about the explosion in Gaza last week and the way the Times covered it?
1: Yeah. So basically, there was an explosion in um, the parking lot of a hospital in Gaza, and the Times initially sent out an alert that said... Uh, it was an, that it was an Israeli airstrike and attributed that claim to Palestinian officials. Um, and, you know, I think they, I don't know if they were the first, they were among the first, but it wasn't like it was a scoop, you know, I mean, I think that the wires sent up last. And, um, and then, you know, a few, I don't know whether it was a few minutes or maybe an hour later that Israel uh, said, you know, we're looking into it. We're not entirely sure, but It basically came out that the Times' source was the Hamas-backed Palestinian uh, health ministry. So, I mean, I think that a lot of news outlets, the Times was not alone. You know, the Wall Street Journal also attributed it to um, an Israeli airstrike, CNN, Reuters, Al Jazeera. um, And, you know, I think it became clear pretty quickly that this was not, at least if it's not an Israeli airstrike, just not verified to be an Israeli airstrike. And so there was kind of a rush to conclusions there.
0: Yeah. So this is very much a fog of war story. It's happening in real time. The Times is technically correct, which was there was some sort of explosion and Hamas officials were essentially saying this is an Israeli airstrike and it killed hundreds. So they reported it accurately, but so, as they have now said in a, in a pretty extraordinary editor's note, said basically we probably gave people the, the wrong information or at least... Um, we weren't as accurate as we could be. They they won't they won't say yeah. they're incorrect, but they're saying we, we didn't handle this correctly,
1: right? And I think that um yeah, like you said, it definitely is a fog of war situation. I don't think this is the first story we've seen out of this war, which has only been going on for a few weeks, where news outlets are sort of caught in that. But I do think that, and you know, Joe Kahn, the executive editor of the New York Times, in addition to the editor's note, went on a Times podcast um on Monday, and he. You know, address the editor's note. And he said in that interview that, you know, they change headlines all the time. These are developing stories, which is totally true. And, and these are developing stories. But I think the fact that, you know, this is obviously a very contentious moment. I think that The Times and other news organizations just had to be even more careful than usual.
0: And, and for context, uh, because The Times has got, come in for a lot of criticism, and I think a lot of it's well-deserved, but you know, there were people I was seeing on Twitter who were complaining that CNN, for instance, wasn't covering the airstrike correctly because they weren't referring to children being killed. Um, and, and at one point they'd said innocent civilians, and I think I think uh, Anderson Cooper changed it sort of on air to civilians, and they were angry about that. So there was anger that that initially that that mainstream organizations weren't portraying this sympathetically enough to to the Palestinian cause. So right. Um, we're not doing equivalents here, but just to no one was happy with any of the coverage. But a lot of the focus has been on The Times because it's The Times, I think, is the right. fairest way to put it. So tell us about your story because it's quite extraordinary.
1: Thank you. So I obtained internal Slack messages. They, you know, among New York Times editors and reporters, it took place in a Slack that had some 500 members, but it's open to anyone at The Times. Um, and it's just like it's called Israel Briefings. It's basically where they're just going back and forth about all of this coverage with the Israel Hamas war. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the aftermath of particularly like the Times editor note, but um, I don't think anyone had forgotten about it. But I think it's been on their mind this week because the Times put the editors in and out the day before my story. But maybe people felt like there wasn't enough conversation within the Times um, about this story. And I think people just assume that these things are Or maybe it's the alternative. Maybe people think like everyone there agreed that this was the right way to do it. And I think what I was able to obtain, which are these Slack messages between, uh, there's sort of two separate exchanges. One is an exchange between um, a senior editor, a senior news editor and a international, a senior. So they have like their news editors and live editors. And then they have their international, there's two groups of people here. And then their international reporter and editor and, you know, you kind of see this conflict between the people who are running the live team, trying to get this news up as quickly as possible. Understandably, that's their job. And then you have you know, these people who are much more, I would say better in likely, th- what I'm speculating is the day to day of covering this. And so essentially you have a, the first exchange was an editor saying that they wanted to be more direct in the lead by saying, I think they said 500 people killed in this strike Israeli airstrike, Palestinian authorities said, and then another editor says, you know, you don't want to hedge it. And um, a reporter chimes in, better to hedge. And then the editor, other editor says, we're tributing. So this so is a of,
0: live debate sort of in real time about how should we write this story? What should this headline be? Should we go with the story that says Palestinian officials say, should we hedge it more? So the people who think that, I mean, it's kind of extraordinary. I would hate to have people looking over my shoulder while I was working on a story in real time, but that's essentially what you're allowing us to do is to watch this debate within the Times about how do we cover this.
1: Yeah, sorry, I, yeah. So that's yeah, not to not to recount the entire exchange. Yeah, I think that it is um, it is this sort of fascinating look into you know how things are happening in real time, and as you can see in these exchanges, it's very, it's obviously quick because they're breaking news, but it's just also like sort of split seconds decisions that you know individual people are making. It's not like you know. Joe Conn has later said that he and a bunch of other editors were weighing in on this, which I'm sure they were. But, you know, these are people, you know, running the website, making split second decisions. And I think that, you know, it's understandable, but it is sort of fascinating to see. Also, just in terms of like timestamps, in terms of like talking about it, deciding to double down, waffling, not changing the actual reference to quote Israeli strike until, you know, an hour later.
0: I I think the the crucial quote here uh, in your story, I'm just going to read it. Uh, you attribute this to an international news editor says, I think we just can't hang the attribution of something so big on one source without having tried to verify it and then slap it across the top of the homepage. Putting the attribution at the end doesn't give us cover if we've been burned and we're wrong. That looks pretty prescient now. Um, but you know, it could have gone the other way. It, it could have been an accurate story at the beginning. And I again, I think this is I think people who are criticizing the times are right to do so, but I think they're also probably a little naive about how this stuff puts together gets put together. It is it is well meaning people trying to make decisions very quickly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um yeah, I I do think that statement looks very prescient now. I think that something that was interesting to me, I mean, this is getting a little bit in the weeds in terms That's of That's what we're here for. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, there's this difference in, in the slack messages I, I obtained, they're sort of talking about the difference between the blog headline and the homepage headline. And so I think what happened in this period of time was you can see, I think at 1.36, the Times Live blog had their first post about um, this blast at the Gaza hospital. And then, you know, by two something, it was the banner across the homepage. And here the editors are kind of debating because one editor says, um, you know, the the head on the homepage goes way too far, and another editor says it's a, it's saying the same thing the blog head does, both attributing to Palestinians, and he's kind of making a difference, which I think is is interesting in terms of like people going to the homepage and seeing this giant banner headline, which by the way had a photo underneath it of d- of destruction that wasn't even this hospital, so that was kind of misleading, but also you know things are happening fast, and then also yeah, so I think that there's some nuances in sort of how they're communicating these these stories.
0: Um, I have some, some process questions for you. Um, you don't identify any of the the journalists involved. You obviously know who they are. Their names are in the slack. Why keep their names out of the story?
1: I mean, we felt what was most important was the exchange and sort of the glimpse at the real-time discussions and decision-making, and decision-making is about the framing of the story. I think that this is obviously a very contentious time. And I and I didn't feel like the point of the story was to go after these specific editors or reporters or you know or whatnot. I think this is more the point of the story is more just a look at how these decisions get to be you know come about in an institution of that size. Were
0: you concerned that the the people who are angry about the Times would then go after editor X Y or Z or junior staffer? Z- yeah. Z. I mean,
1: I don't think that's a crazy concern. I think that's a pretty. You know, like I'm not writing this to kind of put certain people on, you know, on blast. I'm not trying to get anybody, you know, called out publicly. It's more just these are the people. And, you know, obviously it would have been a, it, might, it probably would have been a different thing if like these names were, you know, if it was like Joe Con writing in the Slack. Maybe mm-hmm. that would have been a different consideration. But we felt that knowing what we knew, taking the names out was the right call.
0: So as you said, this is a a Slack channel that lots of people at the Times could have accessed. Um, Obviously, you're not going to tell me who gave you access, but do you have an understanding of what the motivation of the person who said, I want you to look at these Slack messages was?
1: Yeah. So I think people, I think there was some frustration that the editor's note and, you know, other people outside of the Times have noted this. The editor's note, it was sort of acknowledging that they got it wrong, but... I think some people inside the Times and also outside felt that it it didn't fully hold accountable um, some of the people behind the decision. And also it it wasn't really specific. I mean, like the editor's note itself didn't even link to any of the coverage. Um, I think it, it was very broad. And, and you know, as editor's notes are, it's, I think Joe Contact was in his, in his interview. It's like they're addressing a moment, not so much a specific piece. But I think that people felt that there was still sort of a black box over how this decision was made um and i think that people also felt like you know it was it was you know rank and file staff who were pushing back against this decision and sort of as you see in the slack exchanges being overruled which is obviously how a newsroom works like i don't have any doubt about that but but i think that there was at least a few people who wanted people to know that it wasn't just a you know unanimous decision
0: yeah, to put a fine point on it, there's a couple ways you could read your story, right? And you can imagine the motivation for someone giving you the the access for that story. One is, look how we screwed up. You should get. You should explain this to the world. Or look, we were trying our best to get it right, and we got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Which one of those do you think that the the, the what, what do you think the motivator was for the person who who reached out to you or provide you with, with this slack?
1: I think it's the latter. Maybe that's optimistic, uh, but. I don't know. I mean, I think, I I don't. I, I think maybe somewhere in between those two options too. I think that it's you know, like I I understand. I think what places like the Times are doing is incredibly hard, like especially in this kind of a situation. And I don't fault you know. I think they made the wrong call, but I think it's good that they acknowledge it in the editor's note. Like I don't know the last time Joe Kahn has gone on a podcast to talk about something like this either. Um, but I also think that there was clearly more to it than um, you know than they publicly acknowledged. Which is why I felt like that was a good insight. With as, my story. as an aside,
0: they're still being incredibly measured about the way they talk about yeah. what happened at that hospital. They have yet to say uh, we think this is Palestinian rockets or we think this is Israel. Um, they last late uh, last night they put up a story that says. Here's this forensic evidence that the U.S. and Israel are using to, to say that this is a Palestinian rocket, and we think that that evidence is wrong. They go into great detail about how they think that evidence is wrong, and they still won't say who they think is responsible for the actual explosion. Uh, yeah, Where, I where saw, a lot I saw of other that. organizations yeah. have. The Wall Street Journal this weekend has a video saying, here's how a Palestinian rocket landed on the hospital, mm-hmm. and there's no hedging at all about it. The Journal just says this happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that visual investigation. It's really interesting. Cause also like, you know, I love times visual investigations. I think they're great. I mean, it's, I think it's one of their best, uh, you know, teams. And I think, I wonder if we would maybe be looking at that visual investigations differently had all of this not happened. And, you know, I think the tough part about this, and I wanted to try to be clear about this in my story is like there are a lot of things that are unknown still about this and that's what's sort of hard is like even though the US and others have said that they believe it was an errant uh Palestinian missile um and you have these different outside analysis saying the same you know we, we still don't really know but I think that aside from all of that we can at least agree that the time shouldn't based on especially based on the internal conversations we now know happened have rushed it out
0: what would what would the correct the correct headline have been at at and around the time of the explosion do you imagine
1: maybe i think just not israeli you know attributing blame like i don't you cuz you didn't have to attribute blame right you could have just said
0: large explosion, explosion at, at Gaza hospital. hospital appears to have killed many people
1: yeah yeah um, and then you see in the Slack exchanges, they're actually like, we should be, I think we could actually be more precise in the lead. And that was something that, you know, Lulu asked Joe Khan about in the interview, which was like, this wasn't a scoop. And given the nature of what Hamas has done, why why race to get it out? But I do think, I mean, a lot of people, I didn't really get into it in my piece, but it, a lot of people do talk about the competitiveness and sort of the mistakes that can be made in the rush to get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica Lesson you know, tweeted my story and noted something that I thought was interesting talking about the tension between the live team and the, and the international editors and kind of how they're doing different kinds of work. Um, but I don't know. I mean,
0: I mean, I, I I can imagine people would have been very upset with that headline to, again, not to do equivalence, but they would have said, well, why don't you assign blame for this rocket? Um, I, I did want to broaden this a little bit. Um, I have been calling people at the Times the last few days and saying, hey, when am I going to see a story about people at the Times tearing each other apart on Slack? Because I'm used to those stories now. They were a major, major piece of the George Floyd, BLM, pandemic era. Um, Lots of individual staffers, particularly Barry Weiss, but a lot of other folks said I'm being harassed here eventually the times uh, sort of had to come out and say everyone's got to get it together on slack and behave better and we're also we're going to make some structural changes but this is still a a, a really a really uh ser- i'm trying to find i'm trying to find generic ways to describe it's a war between israel and and, and the palestinians and hamas and you would think there would be people in the times are upset about what other people in the times are doing either coverage wise or what they're saying in slack and so when your story first popped up i said oh that's that's got to be the story that i was looking for obviously you're covering something else why do you think we haven't heard about infighting at the times about coverage of this war
1: i would say a few things i would say one it's early like i think this war is it's you know or a few weeks ago right i think I think Barry Weiss actually had a piece sort of drawing, an, you know, an equivalence between why she's sort of saying the whole thing, talking about the difference between 2020 and now. I mean, look, I think I have seen, I know that there are other conversations happening in Slack channels other than the ones I reported. I mean, mine was much more process oriented. I did see, you know, a source told me about uh, a different Slack where someone, and it's a Slack that's sort of like an ask an editor type thing. and some an editor raised a concern about the israel story uh, the israel israel stri- israel gaza strike story and um sort of wondered why they are asked it's like they're asked expecting hamas to justify to prove that they didn't do it and they don't do the same thing for Russia in stories about attacks on Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And there was sort of this whole back and forth about that. And this person was like, it took us months to assign culpability to Ukrainians. And this has only been going on for a few weeks and we're very quick to, you know, give Israel the benefit of the doubt. And so, so those conversations are happening. Um, That was just one example that I heard about, but I think you also had a few things like in 2020, first of all, it's to my understanding. I don't really know the specifics of it, but I do know that I think they cracked down a little bit on Slack in general inside the Times. Like, used I to know be there sort aren't... of
0: a there used to be sort of a main Slack where everyone yeah at the, the New York Times could pop off, and I think that no longer exists. I think one of us should probably verify that, but yes. uh, that's that's our that's our belief from two media yes. reporters.
1: Yeah, I um I remember just a story I was doing like a few months ago, this might have been around the trans issues at the Times. And it was something someone had mentioned something where basically you can't just like pop in and ask, you know, any question. And these sort of, I think around um in 2020, at, during the national reckoning, there were these forums where people could kind of just pose any question. But I also think the fact that everyone was at home, and it was also just a different, I mean, there, uh, there is a difference, I think, between a national reckoning and, and a foreign war. I mean, I, don't, I think it's apples and oranges. Like I don't think we can weigh them in the same way, but I do think it was just a different time.
0: Someone suggested to me that that's a part of the BLM issue was talking about the Times as an employer, and right now that's not the case. Um, I'm not wishing that the Times has internal strife, but I do imagine that there's going to be more to this story. Charlotte Klein is the media reporter at Vanity Fair. Her story is called You Don't Want to Hedge It inside the New York Times debate over its Gaza hospital bombing coverage. If you have got to this part of the podcast and you have not read her story, go read it. Charlotte, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Peter.
0: Thanks again to Travis and Jelani and Julie Myers as well. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our listeners. This is Recode Media. We'll see you soon.